Governor Kemp's green energy dilemma. Manufacturing is coming back to America, and it's coming to Georgia, as we intended when we passed these infrastructure and manufacturing policies. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Greg Bluestein. And I'm Patricia Murphy, and we are two of your political insiders here at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. If you're just joining us for the first time, welcome, and be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate us and leave a comment and share us with a friend. Patricia, I'm so glad to be back. Thank you so much for carrying the show while I was gone. And I know you had some great guests, Mark Nisi, Maya Prabhu, uh, executive, what is Kevin Riley's title? Executive editor um, uh, emeritus? Editor at Something large. Cool. Editor, editor at, at large, large, Kevin Riley. Yes. And of course, the great Bill Torpy. Of course, uh, the great Bill Torpy. It did take five of us to fill in for you, Greg Bluestein, but I think we man- we kind of managed. I'm, I was texting you while you were on vacation being like, okay, I, I'm pretty sure two of the wheels are off the wagon. Okay, now all of the wheels are off the wagon. All of the wheel- <laughs> wheels were definitely on the wagon. I did like uh, Bill's use of moon bats, which I think needs to get its own dictionary definition if it doesn't already. 100%, 100%. But I want to say you were gone and Sheenie B was gone as well. So, you know, two of the legs of our uh, Politically Georgia stool were ripped away from me and I, I just had to adjust. I just I made the last of it, but I'm glad you guys are back. Well, I'll, I've returned only slightly sunburned. We were on a beach. It was not my usual vacation too, because usually... You know, even if I go on a beach or something like that, we're doing a lot of stuff in between and we're going on adventures and all this. This was definitely a more Cheryl-oriented vacation after she spent so long opening a new hospital in the city of Atlanta. She wanted a vacation like this one where like we just, (laughs) it was all-inclusive resort and we didn't do much. It was great. It was very relaxing. Well, it was especially relaxing because you had no kids with you. That was a power move to go just the parents because your kids are at camp. That was a power move. I have not done that yet since my kids have been alive. So, you know, we'll maybe we'll schedule one of those for ourselves sometime soon. The secret is send them both to sleepaway camp at the same time. They're both coming back on Thursday. So we will we will not have any peace and quiet for long, but we're enjoying the last few minutes of all that fun stuff. Well, coming up on today's episode, we're going to talk about how a Southwest Georgia jobs deal has inflamed the new fight over green energy tax credits, how Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger is back in the spotlight in a major way, and a call for new legal protections after neo-Nazis demonstrated outside two Georgia synagogues. This is Politically Georgia from the AJC. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. We're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Okay, Patricia, 
Bainbridge, Georgia, a town of about 25,000 people in the southwest corner of the state, was the home to quite the backdrop on Tuesday as Governor Kemp headed to an electric battery supplier that was just opening. It's, a, it's The groundbreaking was this week in Bainbridge to pick a big fight with President Joe Biden. So this is complicated, but he was at a company called Anovian Technologies. It's opening an $800 million factory. It's going to bring hundreds of jobs to the, to the area. And the company is directly benefiting from about $117 million in federal subsidies intended to jumpstart domestic battery production. It was signed into law by President Biden and passed with bipartisan support. It's the bipartisan infrastructure law, but over the objections of every Republican member of the Georgia U.S. House delegation. Also, the company also would benefit from federal tax and uh, tax benefits aimed at green energy companies that was also opposed by Governor Kemp and other Georgia Republicans. We've heard Kemp criticize green energy incentives before, but not quite like this. At the groundbreaking for this project, Kemp credited Georgia's pro-business policies and not the billions of dollars in federal incentives for the green energy boom that Georgia is facing right now. Patricia, what do you make of all this? I honestly don't get this. I don't understand why it has to be either or. I do understand. I know that we are in a political environment. Um, I know that uh, Republicans are always going to speak out against Joe Biden and um, say that this is a waste of money or it's not an even playing field. Um, the reality is that these EV plants, EV companies are all benefiting from both state and federal incentives. And that's a good thing. I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think this is creating kind of this renaissance of manufacturing in Georgia that we're going to look back on in 20 and 30 years and say, do you remember when all of that blew up? It will change this state permanently. So I don't know why there has to be a loser in this scenario or why there has to be a winner and a loser. It's just a political argument that is extremely convoluted. And it's one. it could be an easy win for both sides, for Democrats and Republicans to say, finally, we all agree on something. But, you know, that's not how it works in politics. It's a zero sum game. And uh, but you can't you cannot do one without the other in this scenario. You need the state and the federal. And these companies are fortunate enough to be in the right time and place to be getting all of it. I'll tell you why there has to be winners and losers because we are in Georgia and home of bare knuckle politics. Exactly. And, and it is emblematic of divided government, right? I mean, back when you had unified Republican, uh, two U.S. senators who are Republicans who are on the same page as the as statewide Republican leaders, you didn't have these issues. But hey, you know, now you've got two Democratic U.S. senators, both who won election in 2021 and with Senator Warnock again in 2022 based on a promise of supporting President Biden's economic agenda and his promise of a, a renaissance in green energy. And to me, the governor is in this tricky spot because, as we've talked about so many times, he still has visions of himself, or at least folks around him, as someone who could be a national candidate one day. This, you know, supporting any, looking like you're supporting anything that Joe Biden does could be toxic to those dreams. But at the same time, he has benefited, like few other politicians, from the crush of clean energy incentives that are coming to Georgia. And there's now no doubt that they're fueled in part by these perks. You can make the argument that some of the announcements that came before these laws passed were going to come independently. But now it's harder to make that argument, especially when the companies themselves are highlighting 
the hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, the, the big incentives that they're benefiting from. But Republicans, they voted in Georgia in a block against both the federal tax bill and the bipartisan infrastructure bill. And Kemp joined them in opposing this. And his main argument, Patricia, is he says that they don't create a level playing field. And he says he's upset that Joe Biden and other Democrats are trying to claim credit for the work that his administration and particularly his economic development recruiters have been doing all around the state and all around the world. Yeah. And he's not wrong on half of that. They have been doing this work all around the world. They have particularly assiduously courted South Korean companies. And that has had a huge, huge effect here in the state and is about to have just a gigantic transformational effect, particularly at the Rivian factory and the Hyundai factory. These are these are mega plants. It's not just a regular plant. It's sort of a whole new city and community being stood up in rural Georgia. And Kemp has said from the beginning, he wanted to um, invigorate rural Georgia, bring jobs to rural Georgia. That's happening. Um, But these companies are thrilled to take the federal incentives. And the ones who aren't getting the federal incentives, like Hyundai, in the very narrow case of what's going on in the West Georgia plant, that those are combust combustion engines, not EV engines. So, blah, blah, blah. it's a it's a it's a very convoluted argument. But Hyundai says we should be getting federal supports as well, even for um, even for those cars. Um, they, they all want these incentives at the federal level. They want the incentives at the state level. It has been a successful partnership, if not partnership, at least parallel effort on both tracks at both levels to have a really good news story for the state of Georgia. Um, and I do kind of think voters wouldn't hate it if if people said, look, we can get along. We can agree that this is all good for the state. But that is just not a road that anybody <laughs> looks like they want to take. Even when we ask Senator Ossoff, we've asked him in the past about um, Governor Kemp's role in all this, and he will only talk about the federal role, only talk about the Biden administration's ability to bring these incentives to Georgia companies. And um, both sides are really quite intransigent and unwilling to give the other side even an inch when both sides probably deserve a mile. Yeah. And let's, I want to get right into what Ossoff has to say about that and other Democrats. But first on the Hyundai point, um, it's interesting because the governor has long highlighted a part of the law that would require all electric vehicles to be assembled in North America to qualify for these lucrative incentives. And the problem here is since Hyundai's Georgia factory won't be operational until 2025, its customers could lose out on the break until then. And he is trying to push, as, as, as well as some Democrats are trying to push a change in the legislation that would allow Hyundai to benefit, Hyundai customers to benefit from that tax break before the factory opens. But I can tell you, Hyundai is planning to scale up quicker than, than it was expected to take advantage of these tax breaks. But let's get to the Democrats because- We've seen kind of two different routes from Democrats. First is the White House clap back at Governor Kemp. I got a statement Tuesday evening directly from the White House criticizing the governor for refusing to acknowledge, in their in their view, that companies coming to Georgia are directly benefiting from the perks in federal spending. And then, as you mentioned, others like Senator Ossoff say, he at least he told me, this shouldn't be a political drama. Here's what he said. This groundbreaking, the construction of this new facility, is being fueled directly by key infrastructure and manufacturing incentives that we passed into law at the federal level over the last two years. 
So he says it's clear cut. Definitely, the in his view, it's it is a definite response to these federal subsidies. But at the same time, he says it's something that both parties should be celebrating rather than uh, a, a new div- political divide. And I think I agree with that. I think that this, you know, again, it is an upside for both parties. Um, when you get into the real nitty gritty of this, it took it. First of all, it's taking an enormous amount of money coming down from D.C. to Georgia um, to bring these incentives, these federal incentives that are targeted specifically at clean energy. Because clean energy and climate change have all been politicized, it's made it a really a no-go for Republicans to celebrate that kind of spending. Um, but, you know, reframe it as manufacturing incentives, and it starts to look very, very different. And truly, it is both. It is manufacturing incentives because it's happening here in the state. These are plants coming into the state, jobs being created here in the state. And it also happens to be for green energy. That is, in fact, though, the direction that the entire automobile industry is going in. Pretty soon there won't be combustion engines um, manufactured at all. Um, So this will be a conversation that just doesn't happen in the future because it's all going to be EV, if not something else, even kind of more far-flung. But um, for the moment, it I just think it seems to be a big win for both sides. But, you know, again, particularly with 2026 on the horizon, in multiple cases, and including something like this, we see people who could be potential rivals down the road. They don't know that Governor Kemp would do something like run for Senate, but they know that he could. And that mm-hmm. and that is something that Kemp's team knows and Ossoff's teams know. So they don't want to be um, kind of giving the other one even an inch. You don't want to be giving the other one even a bit of credit to be played back in a 30-second commercial um, when they might be running against each other down the road. That's um, that's just a political liability that nobody needs to assume right now or wants to assume right now. Yeah, this is, this is yeah, I agree completely. This is not just a philosophic argument. It is going to very much factor into the 2024 race and probably, as you, as you hinted, the 2026 race for U.S. Senate, if, if, especially if Governor Kemp decides to challenge John Ossoff. And again, like in a vivid illustration of really how hard, uh, how tricky this this subject is for Governor Kemp. We just had a UGA poll commissioned with the AJC come out earlier this year that showed that while federal subsidies for the green energy industry are wildly popular among a broader base of Georgia voters, among Republicans, there there's still there's a deep divide, and there's some who are about a third of Republican voters are very much against this idea, and you know we were both there. At, former President Donald Trump at the state GOP convention in Columbus just a few weeks ago when he said he would end these EV incentives on day one of his new administration. There's wild applause from the audience so of, of, of hardcore GOP activists. So again, it's a reminder that Governor Kemp can't stray too far on this one uh, or he might incur the wrath of his own party space. You know, it'll be interesting over time and over time, I mean, like within the next two to four years is whether that starts to change. All of these factories, most of these factories are going into very conservative areas of the state. These are Republican voters and Republican communities that will benefit in large ways from what's happening from these electric vehicle plants. So all of a sudden, what seems like kind of this far off New York, California conversation about electric vehicles or something very Tesla and uh, Elon Musk, all of a sudden it's in Bainbridge. 
It's in Alabel. It's in uh, Rutledge. These are not these are not uh, places that even have ever had firsthand experience with electric vehicles. I've never driven an electric vehicle. That would be kind of cool. Um, so I think maybe as people have more firsthand experience with it, their attitudes could change toward it. They'll start to see the upside of this industry for the first time, having only ever seen it demonized um, in media accounts and by Republican candidates. Very good point. Uh, and we will 100% be tracking all that in the days, months, and years to come. Let's take a quick break. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Greg Bluestein, along with Patricia Murphy. We are not only the two hosts of Politically Georgia podcast, but we're also two of the three authors of the Morning Joel newsletter, which sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join the community right now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts and get three months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts so you always know what's really going on. Trisha, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger is back in the news in a very big way uh, with two, two different things happening. The first one's a biggie. He's going to be interviewed on Wednesday. So this week, as, as you're hearing this probably, <laughs> the day you're hearing this, by federal prosecutors who are investigating Donald Trump and his allies' efforts to overturn the 2020 election. To me, this is a clear signal, obvious signal that that federal investigation is broadening its scope now to overlap with some of the areas that Fannie Willis, the Fulton County District Attorney, is also probing. Yes. And it was impossible not to see the almost identical processes while Georgia had its fake electors meeting behind closed doors and casting their ballots. The exact same process was happening in a handful of other states, including Arizona, including in Michigan. And when you see them in those hearings laid out against each other, it looks very quickly like it was highly coordinated. And um, if it were also criminal, that could amount to a criminal conspiracy situation. So we knew what we were seeing in Georgia at the time in real time, even on Twitter, it was happening. Um, but then to see all of that um, juxtaposed with what was happening concurrently in other states really raised the bar, I think, of the kind of exposure that people on the Trump team could be facing after 
they went through multiple rounds of multiple fake electors, all in an effort to build toward January 6th to present different slates of electors when those ballots were being certified or when those um, electors were being certified mm-hmm. by Congress, rather. So it it feels very, very serious. We didn't know if Georgia was going to be a part of that investigation by the special counsel's office, but seeing that Ravensburger was on the slate to testify or be interviewed on Wednesday is a confirmation that most certainly it is. Yeah. And again, we have been able to confirm that Raffensperger is indeed going to be interviewed. The Washington Post had the first scoop on that. But what we haven't been able to confirm yet, it's unclear if they even will be, but we haven't been able to confirm whether Georgia's slate of fake electors will be interviewed, will be part of this investigation. Of course, they are very much in the middle of the Fulton County probe. So stay tuned for more developments on that front. But Patricia, Brad Raffensperger's in the news for other reasons too. It's a little complicated, but you guys addressed this in the last podcast. But the Secretary of State's facing stiff pushback from both sides of the aisle for resisting calls to upgrade Georgia's election system. He says it shouldn't be done too hastily. And he's now trying to shift attention to something else. Patricia, he issued a new call to lawmakers for legislation that would make tampering with Georgia's election system a felony, carrying a minimum sentence of 10 years. So to me, this isn't uh, as he's facing this pushback, and it's it's loud. I mean, I, I hear lawmakers, uh, particularly the state senate, who are very upset uh, that he is he has not uh, embraced this this push to upgrade the state's election system, especially after these reports that showed some vulnerabilities, some potential vulnerabilities in the state's election system. He is trying to say, okay, you know, I, I, he still hasn't changed his position on that, but he wants lawmakers to consider stiffer penalties to those who would try to interfere with Georgia's election system. Yeah, and this is all a reminder that Ravensburger and state lawmakers, particularly his fellow Republican state lawmakers, especially in the state Senate, have really been battling over Georgia's election system for many, many years. This is just the most recent chapter. While Ravensburger was busy sending out absentee ballot application forms to every Georgian during COVID while he was moving the date of the elections back to accommodate the um, the COVID pandemic. State lawmakers, some Republicans were just furious, absolutely livid. That led to a situation where they voted to have him removed as the head of the state election board. Uh, this has been a rivalry intra-party rivalry, I might add, um, that's been going on for quite some time. So now as Raffensperger is preparing for the 2024 elections, he is riding very, very high as a nationally recognized figure, as somebody who really stood up for the safety and security and integrity of Georgia's elections, particularly against Donald Trump. However, there is this question about the software uh, related to the Dominion voting machines. And as you said, two reports have come out. One report said that that software needs to be updated and upgraded before the 2024 elections. A second report said um, that's not entirely accurate because mm-hmm. um, the vulnerabilities that were seen in the first report happened uh with the assumption that there were no security procedures in place. Like if there was no security, you could get into them. Uh, Ravensburger said, well, that's just never going to happen. There's always going to be security. We don't feel like we can upgrade the system right now. That's a very long convoluted way of saying he's not going to upgrade um, the software before 2024. Republicans, who we've been getting just blown up by Republicans saying, 
what are you talking about? How can you not upgrade the software? My concern is that all of this back and forth continues to put doubts in voters' minds mm-hmm. about the election machines. And we just got through, um, I mean, we're not even, we're not through with the 2020 elections and doubts about those voting machines and accusations, false accusations about people um, hacking into them or having ballots, uh, suitcases full of ballots. So every time there's a question raised about these machines and it's not answered quickly and fully and to most people's satisfaction, it's never going to be to everybody's satisfaction, but to most people's satisfaction, you've got a whole separate problem of confidence in the election brewing. And that's probably my biggest concern. Um, And I've been really interested to see Raffensperger in his office just absolutely hammering people who are criticizing him. Um, There were a group of academics who have been highly critical of Raffensperger. There was a Politico headline recently that said he had gone from election hero to zero uh, for election security, which is not the type of headline you see in Politico about Brad Ravensburger. Um, So in response to that, uh, Mike Hassinger with the Secretary of State's office said, if the PhDs don't like being put in the same category as the pillow salesman, tough noogies, they should stop saying similar things. So lumping every criticism, not every criticism, but this particular class of criticisms, in with election deniers and Mike Lindell, the my pillow salesman. <laughs> so it's, um, I mean, he, they're they're just absolutely not budging an inch on this. Yeah, and again, this is yet another issue that will raise its head again, not just in twenty twenty four, but also in twenty twenty six, as Raffensperger and some of his critics, including former Senator Kelly Loeffler and Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones, all eye each other possible bout for the governor's office. So. We will, we will keep watching that one. Uh, Patricia, before we go, I want to talk about something you know, really tough that happened um, while I was gone. And I know it was, it was one of the biggest stories in Georgia, but the neo-Nazis who waved swastika flags outside of two Georgia synagogues, one in Macon and one at the Chabad of Cobb County, uh, both thriving congregations um, in this, this sort of, I guess at first it was stealth protest. There wasn't a lot of notice about them. These folks just showed up outside of Chabad and East Cobb. They waved their Nazi flags for about three hours. There's only about a dozen of them, and there were some counter demonstrators and others who raised attention. What was heartening to see was the universal condemnation from Governor Kemp, from Senators Ossoff and Warnock, from political leaders of every stripe. And I think some of you noticed, as important as that is, just the community, just neighbors of Chabad of Cobb, just regular folks all saying how horrifying that is. I know I heard, and I'm sure you've heard from just a lot of just folks who are just upset. They don't know how to help, but they want to help. And I know there's a number of rallies being held around the metro Atlanta community. I know in Macon as well to push back, to demonstrate unity after this, unity with Jewish people, unity with just uh, Georgians who are against this neo-Nazism um, but of course, there's a political angle to that too, because there's now louder cries for anti-Semitism legislation that's being brought by Esther Panich, Democrat from Sandy Springs, who's also the only member of the General Assembly in Georgia who is Jewish. It's just so jarring. It was This is up a level significantly from the flyers that have been um, just littering people's lawns all over the state. It, it is not contained to just 
Fulton County or Cobb County. It's all over the mm-hmm. state. People, particularly people in Jewish neighborhoods, neighborhoods, your neighborhood, excuse me, yeah, my house, yeah. um, neighborhoods near synagogues, waking up on a morning and seeing this in their driveways. It's just so. It, Warner Robins in middle Georgia. Yes. Got yes. And few, in Columbus. Columbus, um, yeah. So that has been going on. To me, it feels like another level entirety when you have people with huge swastika flags waving those flags across the street from a synagogue. Um, In Macon, the police did respond to that because it was seen as harassment and disturbing the peace. In Atlanta and Cobb County, they did not respond to that. It was, there were kind of First Amendment protections discussed. And um, so there was not a police response to that. But it just feels like it's it's, um, intensifying something that is already a rising, noticeably rising increase in anti-Semitic rhetoric around the state. If this doesn't move lawmakers to add anti-Semitism to the state's hate crimes statute, I don't know what will. You certainly don't want them to wait for something really horrible to happen. So um, I think it's important for lawmakers to do something. We saw tons and tons of statements. We even saw something from Josh McCoon, who is the new um, chair Mm -hmm. of the Georgia GOP. And I retweeted that because that's not the type of thing that we see the Georgia GOP come out quickly with recently. Uh, So uh, I was even talking to a Republican lawmaker today about a completely separate bill and he's still talking about the Nazi flags. He's a hmm. uh, North Georgia Republican, just so deeply disturbed by what he saw. So I, I do think lawmakers need to take action on this. The statements are doing nothing. They're not achieving the goal of calling this out and making it stop. So I think something more likely will be done because it does feel like this is going in a direction that is really dangerous and um, more lawmakers feel compelled to do something. And we know from Governor Kemp's recent trip to Israel that Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu directly lobbied Governor Kemp about that legislation. Governor Kemp has been noncommittal about whether he wants specific legislation or even the broader idea of new anti-Semitism protections to pass Uh, But he was one of the first voices out there condemning these hate-filled demonstrations. Here's what he had to say. This is not a state that's going to put up with hate and discrimination. And and certainly you saw that in bipartisan fashion. And that's the way it should be. Patricia, I know we'll be talking plenty more about the fate of the measure, especially as the legislative session ramps up. But we know also that Esther Panich, one of the sponsors of of the bill, and John Carson, a Republican who is also an author of the bill, have both been lobbying very hard to get it passed. Uh, and it already passed the state house, it's held up in the state Senate. So all eyes will be on the state Senate in just a few months. That is all the time we have for today's show. Coming up on Friday's episode, we're going to answer your questions for the listener mailbag, which you can now call into. It's the Politically Georgia podcast hotline. You can call anytime. Leave a question, and you'll be featured on the Politically Georgia podcast. The number is 404-526-AJCP. That's 404-526-2527. We cannot wait to hear from you. Well, thanks so much for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. You can find links to all the stories we talked about today in the episode summary of this podcast. We release new episodes every Wednesday, every Friday, or whenever big news breaks. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the AJC. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song. 
and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-Hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.